0: We are at 1, chapter 1, 4 through 16 today. Instead of doing a recap, we're just going to reread the first three verses we, we looked over last week so that we know where we're at in the story. We know why Jonah's on a boat. So read with me, if you will, in your Bible. It's going to be up on the screen, and then I'll read the first three verses, and then we'll get to our text today. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Holy Spirit, be with us. Open this little text up to us, Lord. Help us to see clearly your word. Help us to see the good news hidden in this story of a disobedient prophet. Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. There's a British author, a poet named Francis Thompson, and he has an epic, famous poem that many of you, I'm sure, have read. It's called The Hound of Heaven, and the poem is not very long. You could go today and read it, and it describes God's relentless pursuit of those who run from him as a bloodhound, as a hound that is sniffing out sinners. Francis, from the perspective of the runaway, writes this. He says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him and under running laughter. up Upvisted hopes I sped and shot precipitated a down titanic glooms of chasm fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurring chase and unperturbed pace, Deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat. And a voice beat, more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. The poem goes on to talk about his continued flight, his peril, how nothing seems to work out. He's running from the Lord. And then God is meanwhile patient and loving and in pursuit of the wayward son. Finally, no surprise in the final stanza, God catches the wayward sinner. And he says this All which I took from thee I did but take, not for thy harms, but just that thou might seek it in my arms. All which thy child's mistake fancies is lost, I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. You see Jonah is running. Jonah is running from the loving presence of the Lord, but God is in pursuit. And so in Jonah's flight today, I see three states of being that are going to reflect deeper truths for us, for Israel, in Jonah. The first state is Jonah is asleep. He's sleeping in the belly of the boat. Second is Jonah is awake in the storm and there's trouble. And the third is that Jonah is tossed overboard. He's airborne. He's a man overboard. Stick with me as we move quickly together. This is verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Anyone who's been on a boat before uh, can can picture this scene. You've been in bad weather if you know what this feels like. There's a lot of hurling going on in the text. None of it involves seasickness. Okay. But this is a, a, a usage because God's trying to draw our attention to something. God is hurling the great wind. The sailors are hurling the cargo. They're, they're, they're trying to stop what's happening. And then eventually Jonah is going to be hurled off the boat. And so we see God triumphant, man attempts, and then finally someone's going in. Someone has to go in the water. The Lord has taken aim at Jonah. He's taken aim at Jonah, and like a mighty archer, he is going to hit His target, he's going to use the storm to bring about repentance and obedience in Jonah's heart. You can imagine the sailors later that day showing up at the port in Joppa. You know, they're talking to the Joppa insurance agent and they say, well, it was an act of God. You know, it's true. All things, you know, act of God. That's really what they call it when these things happen, because we know who sins, the winds and the waves So Jonah is in the boat and he's sleeping. Who, we might add, is there in the belly of the boat. Again, another interesting side note here is the language. We've seen the hurling, right? But we're seeing the contrast. Just like the hurling, Jonah's in the belly of the ship. Pretty soon he's going to be in the heart of the sea or the belly of the sea. And then he's going to be in the belly of a fish. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves. So let's continue. The prophet is sleeping and he represents both Israel and us. We have been asleep in our sin. Israel is asleep in their sin. God has blessed them, and yet they're worshiping idols. And so they're sleeping. You'll remember, Israel as God's chosen people, were meant to be a blessing. They're not meant to be a curse to other people. They're meant to be a blessing. And the same is true of us. Christians are meant to be a blessing. We're meant to be salt and light. But due to Jonah's sin and rebellion, he's currently being anything but a blessing. He's causing these sailors heartache and loss of property and potentially loss of life. And so the first lesson we learn is that God's people, when they're asleep, when they're content in their sin, when they're content in their rebellion, it has consequences, not just for us. Sin is a ripple effect. I always tell kids it's like you're taking a rock, and when you sin, you throw it in the middle of a a lake. And there's ripples. And so all sin is is rippled out to everyone around us. God's controversy with one individual often ends up affecting all of those around that person. And so we see the storm is sent to pursue and punish and correct Jonah. But it actually ends up affecting other people. And this is why church discipline in the church is so important. Because it has the same effect of the storm. We are meant to call the person back from their rebellion. We're trying to save them from themselves, from their sin and from hurting other people. God is calling them back through the church. And so this storm impacts the sailors who really have no involvement in Jonah's guilt. And you can say, "Well, that's not fair." That's not really fair. Why? You know, what were the sailors doing? They were just taking the money and trying to, you know, what what why is God punishing them? But you have to remember, all sin deserves punishment. Every sin deserves punishment. And what we actually end up seeing is that the storm of correction not only has power to produce repentance in Jonah, but it actually ends up with the the sailors worshiping. You see, God's plans are so much bigger than our little, well, that's not fair. God is working all things together for good. It's another example, just like we talked about last week. This is the high cost of sin. The the burden of sin, the burden of Satan is is so costly. And every time you flee to Tarshish, whatever that Tarshish is, it will cost you. It will not, not only cost you, it will have that ripple effect. It will cost others. Divorce is not confined to just two people. It affects every member in the family. A disobedient, wayward child, a child who runs from their parents' teaching, who runs from the faith, that affects friends, it affects loved ones, it affects everyone. A greedy, gluttonous CEO who runs a company with only, only thinking about himself and his own profits. That affects every employee. You see, a corrupt politician, their private sins, the problem with private sins is they rarely stay private. And so these sins that we think, well, it doesn't hurt anybody else. It's not hurting my kids. It's not hurting my family. It's not hurting my co-workers. No. What about the sins of a pastor? How many people are affected by the sins of God's people? What about a prophet of the Lord who's running from God's mission? Do you see, Do you see how Jonah's sin is causing these ripple effects, these repercussions? In the Old Testament, we read about uh, the Israelites. They're trying to take the, the city of Ai, and they've won everywhere else. I mean, they have been cleaning house. They've been winning every single battle, and they lose the battle of Ai. And Joshua says, what's, what's going on? Well, guess what? Some guy named Achan is sinning. Some guy named Achan has caused problems for the whole camp of Israel. That's because God takes sin so seriously. He takes the sin of his people so seriously because the wages of sin only leads to death. And if a member of the body of Christ has become plagued and diseased, you know what you would do with a limb. You know what you would do with a body part. You would cut it off. If it cannot be cured, either it be a minister to cure or it be cut off. And so surely each one of us, you remember back in Mark, the disciples, Jesus says, "One of you will betray me. Is it I? Lord, am, am I aching? Is it me? Am I? Am I the one who will betray? Am I the offender? Am I so blind in my sleep to the harm that I'm causing myself? And to others, you see, sin blinds. Will I continue on in this way until I either sink the boat and everyone goes down with me, or will I be tossed into the sea of God's correction? There's a sinful heart that beats in my chest, it beats in your chest. And you see, that's the problem. The primary danger, as we talked about again not too long ago, it's not outside in, it's inside out. We are the curse. In the belly of the boat, the killer is calling from inside the house. The monster in your closet is scared of you. And so rather than acting as, again, preserving salt and light that shines in the darkness and a fountain of blessing, we become the curse when we are asleep in our sin, when we're running from God's presence. We're like Christian Rip Van Winkle's. And we need someone to rouse us from our sleep. You see, that's what the storm does. And so Jonah's sleep is a picture of his spiritual sleep and of Israel's spiritual sleep and of all those who run from Christ's spiritual sleep. And so, whether it's from Satan's malice or from God's correction and chastisement, a saint in rebellion is in many ways more dangerous in a house, in a church in a community, than a sinner who does not claim the name of Christ. You can do more damage by bearing the name of Christ than you can by being an outsider in the, the outside of the camp. And the opposite of this is true as well. You'll, you'll think about this. For the sake of one righteous person, God was willing to spare Sodom. Well, you know, for the sa- I will spare it for the sake of five, ten. I will spare it for them. The Bible says, that The prayer of a righteous person availeth much. Elijah prayed for no rain. It didn't rain. And the New Testament says, and Elijah was just a guy. He was just a man, just like you. And so be a blessing. We don't want to be a curse. Wake up to your sin. Sadly, Jonah is snoring in the belly of the boat. And the same is true for all sinners who rest easy in their sin. Again, God is patient. We talked about this last week. How patient is God with us? How forbearing is... Think about this. You, You may be succeeding... In your sin, you may see all the boat to Tarshish has just shown up. You have the perfect amount of fare. You are going. Lord's blessing, He must be blessing me. You might have sold your brother Joseph into slavery, and you haven't heard from him in years. Everything's good, but the day of reckoning comes. You cannot elude or evade the one who judges both the quick and the dead. Bible says with what measure you pay out to others so shall it be paid back to you Hosea 8 7 for they shall sow the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind Amos 9 2 through 3 which my wife we were talking about this last night she pointed out is a is a parallel to the psalm now listen to this if they dig into Sheol from there shall my hand take them if they climb up to heaven from there I shall bring them down If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. So David says, if I run from your presence, if I go down to the grave, you're going to find me. That's great news. If I try to run from from heaven, you're going to find me. And David says, what a great joy that is to be in the presence of God for those who love him. You cannot run from his presence. And then God says, for those who are running against me, though, for my enemies... I will chase them down as well. Nobody gets away with their sin. The final point here is a comparison between another prophet of God. If you are a student of the Bible, you'll see the comparison here. There was Jesus who's on a boat and he's asleep. And the disciples are in a storm and they're panicking. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care about us, Jesus? Don't you care if we drown? You see, that's an absurd question. Of course, Jesus cares. The storm is a schoolmaster. And the storms of this life come about to teach and correct and rebuke us. How fickle we are. How, how, how quick we are like the disciples. Lord, don't you care? What a foolish question. What, what a silly question. Of course he cares. But you see, Jonah, he has fallen asleep due to exhaustion from running away from God's mission. But Jesus was sleeping in exhaustion from his perfect obedience to God's mission. Jonah is asleep in his sin. Jesus was asleep in the arms of his father's obedience. He was obedient to his father. How blessed it is to run to God than to run from God. When your enemies surround you, when the darkness comes, when the storms of this life come, God sends them. We can take comfort knowing that God is sending them. We can take comfort knowing that he's with us in the storm. What great wind has blown into your life to rock your little boat? What tempest has God sent to awaken you from your slumber? Next, we see Jonah awake. He's awake in the storm, starting in verse six. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Uh, And what of people are you? And Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. He had told them, Yeah, I'm running from God. I'm running from God. He just confessed, right? What a sad gospel Jonah preached. He's spiritually asleep, he's hiding from both God and he's hiding from man. He's in the belly of the boat, he doesn't want to be up on the the deck. And the storm is raging, the boat is tossed, the crew's panicking, the cargo's tossed, the captain's become religious. Jonah's sleeping through it all. And so the captain says, Awake, O oh sleeper! Arise! Do something! What a sorry sight. Everyone on the boat's praying except for the true believer. <laughs> He's having to be roused in prayer by a heathen. By a sailor. There's no prayer life for Jonah because he's asleep. He's run from the presence of God. He's fleeing to Tarshish. And it's here that the outsiders put the insider to shame. What are they doing? Well, they're praying to their God. They, can, they can't do anything. They're obviously not real gods, but they're trying something. They're tossing cargo. They're risking life and limb. They don't want to toss Jonah overboard. They show Jonah more common grace, more courtesy than the prophet of God shows him. He, and the one person who can actually do something is asleep. So what do pagans do in a time of crisis? Well, they turn to crystals. They go to the Ouija board. They talk to the palm readers. They start casting lots. Let's flip a coin. Let's flip a coin. And the lot falls to Jonah, and he's forced to admit his sin. You see, the hound of heaven has sniffed him out. And I'm here to tell you today, if the hound of heaven is on your trail, which he is, he's going to sniff you out as well. Every sermon will annoy you. Every Bible verse will somehow be about you. Every prayer will feel like it's aimed at you. Were you praying about me today? Every single thing your Christian friend tells you will have a word for you. He will pursue you because he loves you. God will have the last word. And so Jonah, acting as a type of Israel, has to awake. Israel needs to be awakened. And we talked about it last week. How is God going to wake up Israel? Through the Ninevites. The Ninevites that are going to punish them. The light of truth, the correction, the rebuke has exposed Jonah's darkness. Sin has taken such a heavy toll on Jonah. Israel will have to learn this. We have to learn this. How many times have we sinned and we don't learn? Sin brings misery and death. It causes us to cease from prayer. When you're running from God's presence, the last thing you want to do is pray. You're like Adam and Eve. You want to hide from his presence because it exposes your nakedness. The Bible says God in his infinite wisdom and his patience disciplines those he loves. The Bible says in Hebrews, true children are disciplined. And so if you are being disciplined, that's a good sign that the father loves you. He loves you enough not to leave you in your sin and rebellion. So Jonah comes clean. I'm a Hebrew. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. See, they were trying to figure out, you know, hey, Jonah, which local deity is causing this? Is this the fish God? Uh, Is this the sea God, the sky God? You know, which one do you worship? Can we talk to him? And Jonah says, I worship the big one. I worship the God of it all. And their response is to fear with a great fear. They are terrified. They thought he was just worshiping some little God. You know, we can appease some little God, but the God of it all, you see the winds, that's him. Those crashing waves, that's Yahweh. The rocky coast that you guys are trying to sail to, that's going to bash our ship to bits. He made it. We're in trouble. And so verse 10, what have you done is immediately followed by what should we do? What have you done? What should we do? It's now a him versus us situation in the middle of a crisis. It's a bad place to be. And so again, we see Jonah's sin has alienated him from man, from his mission, from his calling, and ultimately from his God. Hear it again. What have you done? You see, this is truly remarkable. The the world is rebuking the church. A prophet of Yahweh is rebuked by a heathen sailor. I mean, think about that melancholy scene and yet how often do we see it play out in our own lives every single day? There's enmity in the heart of man towards God, and those who hate God look to us. They look to us to mess up. They look for anything that they can do that we can do to rebuke us. And to tarnish his holy name. Oh, you Christians. You hypocrites. But the church should never allow the world to beat us in excellence. Think about it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruits of the spirit. They belong to the children of God. And so there should not be one single sector, one sort of subdivision, one quadrant where the world says... Hey, you know all that's good, true, and beautiful? We own that. Step aside, church. We have this taken care of. No, no, no. We own it. All truth, all goodness, all beauty is from the Lord. And so kids, if you're listening, go be the world's best rocket scientist. But do it for God's glory. Go be the world's best lineman. And give God glory to God. Go be politicians, mothers, janitors, musicians, plumbers, farmers, doctors, bankers, missionaries, pilots, soldiers, baristas, and yes, pastors. And then you give God the glory. I'm not talking about changing culture. I'm talking about honoring God's name, which you have taken upon yourself. And if you bear the name of Christ, be excellent. Be excellent. Bless others. Give the world no cause to blaspheme his holy name. That's 1 Peter 2.12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify God in the day he visits. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things things the world rebuking the church it's not the way things should be finally even here we see jonah as a type of christ jesus awakens in the midst of the storm the disciples have have roused him from his sleep and what does he do instead of saying hey we got to toss someone over he says hush up and the storm says i'm so sorry And the disciples who were terrified of the storm now look at Jesus and they say, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey? Could he be Yahweh? Could he be God, the living, true God? And just like the sailors who started out fearing the storms, the winds in verse 16, they end by fearing the Lord. God is in control of all things. And he's hunting Jonah down. He's hunting Jonah down in order to save and redeem a chosen people. He's going to save Nineveh one way or the other. And he's going to use Jonah. And Jesus, the true and greater Jonah, is the same in this sense. That he is the dove of truth who was sent out with a mission and a message from the Father. And God the Father tracked him down, pursued him to the point of death. Yes, even death on a cross. Why? So that he might save and redeem a chosen people from every tribe, from every nation, from every trunk. Adoption as sons and daughters. I know one other story in the Bible of this, of a son who's running from his father. You'll remember the parable. He takes the father's inheritance and he runs and he spends it on wild living. He's a backslider. He's a a no good son. He's a screw up. He's not worthy to be called a son. And so he returns home. He's going to repent. And he says, just call me a servant. And before he can even get all the words out, he's there. And the father runs to him. The father was waiting to embrace him. For my son was dead. Now he's alive. And the good news of that story is that the hound of heaven has tracked you here for, that, for some reason. right? You're here in this pew right now. He's tracked you here because, because either you've been running or you're running to him. And his arms are now outstretched in love. He's calling you today. Come. He's come looking for his lost sheep. He's come to seek and save sinners. Who can understand the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God? How unsearchable are his waves? How untraceable are how searchable is the judgments? How untraceable are his ways? This is good news. That, that for those who are running from his presence, that those who are running to his presence, he's after you. Either way, he, he is hunting you down. Finally, we see Jonah tossed overboard. This is verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Toss me in. He knows he must now bear the judgment of God for his sin in order that these sailors' lives might be spared. And the Hebrew verb used there by Jonah is nasa, right, which is where we get the space organization. You pronounce it nasa. It means to lift up or carry. Now, if you go in the Old Testament and you look up that word, if you did a little word study, guess what you would find? You'd find the suffering servant. In Isaiah 53, you would find all of the times that God carried his people, carried their burdens, lifted them up. You would find forgiveness of sins. John Calvin, the theologian, goes so far as to use the language of expiation. Jonah must be payment for his sins. And so they lift him up and they toss him into the water. The captain started out by saying, cry to your God, meaning whatever deity you please, thank you kindly. And he ends by saying, let's praise Yahweh. Jonah is sinking beneath the waves. You can see him. He's sinking beneath the waves. They think he's gone. They have no clue whether Jonah's alive or not. And the heathen men are having a worship service on the deck. Jonah has attempted to run away from God's mission because he did not want God to have mercy on heathen people. Now what's happening on the boat? God's having mercy upon heathen people. Jonah Jonah cannot stop God's mercy. God is having mercy on whom he will have mercy. You couple this with the fact. Tarshish, I said it last week, is what we now know as modern day Spain. These sailors would never have forgotten what Yahweh did. They probably went as the first missionaries to Spain. Paul says, wouldn't it be great if I could get over to Spain Now, is that not remarkable that that God would have used Jonah's disobedience to potentially lay the groundwork and the seeds for the Apostle Paul? (laughs) You you cannot stop God. You cannot thwart his plans. You cannot... Your sinful devices, your determinations of mankind, he doesn't care. He, He laughs at them. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? He laughs at it. You cannot stop his plan. Jonah is learning that. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and they hurled him in the sea. Jonah's life calmed the storm, but it could not pay for his sins. You see, it could not pay for the sins of the sailors. Every single sin we commit is enough to have us tossed in the sea. We all need to be tossed in. Every idol, lie, hatred, lust, rebellion, every covetous thought, that's another link In our chains, in our bonds that hold us captive. And friends, I think of how many countless chains, how many sins have you forged in your own life? How many sins would weigh you down? If you were tossed overboard, you're sinking down. Somebody has to go in. God's righteous judgment, his justice demands someone go in the water. Someone has to be tossed in. Someone has to be lifted up and tossed in. And it's either you or someone else. And so we like Paul, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the stormy blast? Who will deliver me from these chains which seek to drag all of us into the ocean depths? Who is strong enough to break my bonds and your bonds and set us free? There's one who is able to do it. In the New Testament, he says, I am the greater Jonah. The greater Jonah is now here. And he too says, I must be lifted up. I must be lifted up in order that others might be saved. You see, the chains of sin that you have fastened, that I have fastened, they only yield to one thing. They only melt under one thing, and it's God's holy fire. They must be cast into the fire's of Mount Doom. They must be destroyed. They have to be purged in the furnace of God's wrath. And that burning heat alone can melt those chains of sin. They can dissolve them. And it blazes forth in holy justice. Dear friends, it burns white hot to consume wickedness. It burns to consume sin. And there's no clearer place in all of Scripture that we see its light and we feel its heat than upon Calvary's hill. The cross is the winepress. It's the ocean wave. It's the furnace blast. And the one who suffers there in our place stretches forth his hand and says, Come. He says, Beloved, can you, hear, can you almost hear his voice calling you? His voice will melt hearts of stone, hearts of ice, you who are guilty, you wretched, you weary, you poor, come, take my hand, come, take my burden, take my yoke upon you, it's light. Come with me into the fire. Let us be done with those chains. And as you walk with him into the furnace, here's the remarkable thing, you feel no heat. For the fire will be upon him and upon your chains alone. And you will look to him and you will see that great burden of sin that you've carried all your life. And now it's upon him. And it's on his back. And as he walks into it, into the fire of God's wrath, it's consumed, it's reduced, it's destroyed. And so the Bible can say, not a single hair upon your head will fall. Without him knowing it. Not a single hair will be touched by fire. Your feet will rest upon the ocean's wave. He was tossed into the sea in your place. He who knew no sin was made sin for us so that we might be called the righteousness of God. That's good news. And it's a gracious offer. This is a gracious offer from our Lord. It's an offer of peace. An offer of hope, of forgiveness, of deliverance. The flame of wrath, he says, was kindled upon me. Jesus is the burnt offering once and for all. Those chains were torn apart by him, melted so that he might abolish our slavery. He emancipated us from the cords of death. And now if you are in Christ, then you are as free as Christ is free. You see, your conscience is clean. Your guilt is purged. Your heart is at ease. You are joyful, pure, holy, childlike. You are free, free, free indeed. You're free to love God. You're free to love neighbor. You're free to serve both. You're free from the law. Oh, happy condition. Jesus has bled and there is remission, cursed by the law and bruised by the fall. Christ has redeemed us once and for all. If some of you knew today how light you truly are, and how free you truly are in Christ, you'd be floating out of your seat. We couldn't even hold you down. Lord, help us to skip and leap and dance and and jump for joy. If you're in Christ, your sins are forgiven. You see, you can go in peace, like Jesus says, and sin no more. Go in peace and live in His presence. That dark night of dread which looms on the horizon, that great day of judgment, that day of wrath, it holds no evil for you. It holds no sway over you. That heat is at your back. The heat of God's furnace is at your back. You are elastic in Christ. You are bounding. You are rubbery with freedom of life. He went in to pay our debt. Someone had to go in the water. And today, He sought you out. You see, the hound has sniffed you out, and his hand is outstretched, not in a fist. It's stretched out in mercy. Stop running. Don't run like Jonah. Find rest in Christ and sleep. Get some sleep on the boat. Let's pray.